0: hello and welcome back to the fire fragrance podcast today we have tom sharing with us more on pure heart and what it is to carry pure heart to the nations as well as the importance of living in freedom let's jump right in we, he knows that we avoid things and he'll call us to things i mean just if you if you don't believe that just read uh uh who got swallowed by the fish yeah jonah i mean look at that he knew what god wanted and he knew what god was gonna do did you know that Jonah knew he was going to forgive those people, and he knew if he preached that message of repentance that they would repent, and he didn't like them, so he didn't want to do it. It wasn't that he was scared or nervous. He knew God was going to be merciful to the people he didn't like. That's why he didn't do it, but he did. You know, God has his ways. So I was in a meeting one day, and we were going to, meeting with this ministry, and, um, and they were Next Game ex-gay ministry, and they wanted us to join with them. And on the way there, Donna's like, do not commit to anything, Tom. Promise me, you will not commit to anything. Because I'm really impulsive. Um, she's not, she's very measured. Could you tell that? Like, she is chuck, chuk, chuk, chuk And I'm like, oh, whatever, that sounds great. You know. And uh, so we're, I, I promise her, I will commit to nothing. So we go into this meeting. And uh, they turned to us and say, so tell us why you'd want to be involved in a ministry like this. And they turned to Donna first. And she goes, well, I don't know that I want to. And so she's just sharing her heart. And it was like this cone of silence came over me. And uh, the Holy Spirit just came on me. And it was like, all of a sudden, it's him and me in the room. And I can't even hear what she's saying. And he's like, "Um, uh, the question was there. Why would you want to be involved? And I'm like, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, Holy Spirit says, comfort those with the comfort you've received. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. So then they finish with Donna, and they turn to me, and they say, so how about you? And I said, well, the scripture just came to my mind. Comfort those with the comfort you've received. That's all I said. And they go, like, okay, all in favor of Donna and Tom being on the board of directors, say "I, I, I, I." They didn't even ask us. They just voted us on. And Donna's kicking me under the table, like kicking me. And we leave the meeting, we get in the car, and I said, I did not commit to anything. I did not do that. She goes, I know, I know. That was God. Oh, you know. But really, he showed me, comfort those with the comfort you've received. You've received comfort this week. You've received healing this week. And you don't have to be Tom and Donna to give it away. You really don't. Like, you can bring what you've learned. You can go and pure heart people in the nations just with what you've learned. Just pray over them, just ask Holy Spirit to come. He loves to do it, so he'll do it. It was awesome, like we're, we've we taught all kinds of fire and fragrance DTSs, go and do this, man, you can do it. And we had people contact us and they're like, yeah, we we're on the streets of Delhi, and uh, we've, we saw this girl, and we just pure-hearted her right there. I'm like, pure-hearted? Oh, a verb, I like that. I didn't know it's a verb now, that's cool. But you really can, you can bring healing to people. And and you can take our notes. I'll send them to the school leaders. I don't know if you have them, but we'll send them to you. And then they can send you all of our notes, everything we've been teaching this week. And you can teach it. You can go to the nations and teach it. If you get a chance to, you can do a mini pure heart. Just do mother wound and father wound or whatever. And, and teach it, but you've got to insert your story into it. So it's good if you've got a testimony that goes with one of the teachings. And you have to pray with people. It's not pure heart if you don't pray. So uh, my son went on outreach. Uh, We were in the same DTS. And we went to Cambodia, and he went to Mozambique to work with Heidi Baker's uh, team there. And uh, so Heidi and Roland would have like two of the DTS students a week over for dinner to get to know them. So my son went to dinner with another guy. And so they were just talking. and She's like, tell me about yourself. And so Jacob's just sharing him stuff. And he started telling him, oh, my parents do this ministry. It's called Pure Heart. and deals with wounds and helps people get healed. And she goes, oh, that sounds wonderful. She said, oh, we're having a pastor's conference this weekend. About 250 pastors are coming. And she goes, you're going to teach Pure Heart. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. My parents do that. I don't do that. She goes, you'll be great. So... He calls us, the team calls us. We do a, a, not Zoom, Skype. Remember Skype? Okay, so we Skype. And they're like, he's like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm doing. Like, We're like, okay, I'll send you the notes and you just insert your story in it, but you have to pray for people. And I said, the, you know, to the rest of the team, you guys are the ministry team. So you're gonna pray for people. And we just kind of gave them a rundown of helping them let the pain come up and out and into the cross and then pray for God to come in break lies, and speak truth, and fill him with his love. So you're the ministry team. They're like, okay. So they did it, and they taught mother wound and father wound to these 250 Mozambique pastors, and, uh, and they were just sobbing. All, and They're praying over these people. All these 18 to 20-year-olds are praying for all these pastors. They're weeping in their arms. And at the end, all the pastors surrounded my son and sang over him like they encircled him and sang over him and uh Heidi Baker said Jacob in all my years doing these pastor conference we've been doing them for decade and a half I have never seen them honor a teacher the way they honored you and she said that's because you brought healing to their hearts right and they don't even have to be saved to pray in her healing over them I was in Cambodia and we went on a little mini outreach they broke our team up into three teams And uh, so we went to this orphanage, and we stayed in the orphanage, and it was amazing. Like the orphanage director just loved the kids, which is not normal. Uh, Most of the orphanage directors do it for the money, and they don't love the kids, and they're pretty awful places. But this was amazing, and they did worship three times a day. They prayed and interceded all the time. It was like you could feel the presence of God there. So uh, our outreach leaders mentioned to the the director that we do this ministry, Pure Heart, and he's like, oh, would you do that with our older orphans? Because he also, once they turn 18, they throw them out, or even younger, they throw them out. He would let them stay, and they would help disciple the younger ones. So he had a lot of 16 to 23-year-olds, and so we, that's who we did it for. So we did, we're going to do the Pure Heart. Well, they had a cook, he was Buddhist. He was not a Christian. He was the cook for the orphanage. And, uh, and he, he didn't like me. I could tell. Like, every once in a while, I'd walk by and he'd say something to someone. And I, and I knew what he was saying. It was really weird. Like, I, I knew he was making fun of me. And so I, I, I said to the other people, I'm like, why does he always tease me? And they're like, you speak Khmer? And I'm like, no, but I know he's doing it. Like, I, I can tell. And they're like, he is. And I don't know why. But he, he really didn't like me. So we were doing it outside. We had like a little shelter, but he's outside cooking. He's peeling potatoes, and I'm teaching the father wound. And then I'm doing ministry to this guy. And I mean, all of them have deep, deep father wounds. Most orphans in Cambodia, their parents didn't die. Their parents gave them up because they couldn't afford them. So they knew they were rejected by their parents, right? So they had deep, deep wounds, And so I'm praying with this man. He's crying in my arms. I've got a translator there. And all of a sudden, I feel and sense somebody behind me. And I'm like, I wonder who that is. And I look, and it's the cook. And he's looking like kind of downtrodden and looking at me. And I'm like, do you want prayer? And he's like, I said, okay, let me finish with this guy. And then I'll pray for you. So I finished. He sits down. I've got the translator there. And I'm not kidding you, God gave me a download on his life. Like I said, your aunt did this, your uncle did I mean, It was crazy download. I've seriously never gotten a download that accurately. And I just started naming all the people that had hurt him and harmed him. And his eyes are just gigantic. He goes, how could you know that? And I said, I don't, but the God I serve does. And he cares about you. And he just started bawling. And I just prayed with him. He's just snot and crying and I'm just holding him, and so after we finished, and I asked Jesus to heal all those places, fill him with his love, I, he gets done. I said, now, do you want to meet that God who just healed you? And he's like, yes, I do, and he accepted Jesus right there. I'm like, wow, <laughs> evangelism through healing. So really, you guys can do this. You really can. People think, oh, no, I only Tom and Donna. No, that's not true. Well, when we did it at IHOP, I barely taught. I might teach one lesson. Um, we had other people teaching it all the time. We had other people leading groups of pure heart. Churches do pure heart in, in other places. One prison does it. they do it. this prison ministry does it in the prisons. So you can do this, you really can. and I encourage you to do that because if if we can bring healing to the nations, man we're going to just see we're going to see amazing things happen, amazing things. So uh, don't think you can't do this because you can, okay. Do you want to do that? Okay. Yes. I believe you will. I just was in Nepal, man. That was so much fun. Some of you are going to Nepal. So uh, first time teaching Pure Heart Nepal. And uh, the DTS was, I think there were 80 students, 75% of which were Nepali, and 70% were men. It was three to one. Three men to every one woman. Never happens in DTS, as you can see, right? Women, you're like three to one to them. But it's the three to one men, and they had been ministering to the gangs a lot. So the, a, a bunch of the guys felt really called to really minister to the gangs. So these gang members are getting saved, and they are rough. And then they get saved, and so three of the guys were from the gangs and just fresh out, right? So, um, I'm ministering the first one, Mother Wound, and everybody came forward. I mean, the whole place. And I'm like, okay, we're going to be busy today. And so I'm praying for people, and I just hear, like, out of the the side, from the side, this this crying. It sounded like a little boy. (laughs) And I, I thought, wow. Sounds like a little kid. Like, and I look, and there's this guy on the ground. He's on his hands and knees. And there is literally a huge puddle of tears and snot. And he's just crying like a little boy. So I, I finished praying for this person. I went over to him. And I just got down and held him. And he just wept. I didn't speak Nepali. He didn't speak English. So it was just, Holy Spirit, you do it. And he did. And he met him in that place. And God healed him. And uh, so afterwards, somebody came up to me and they're like, you know that guy that was crying like a little boy? And I'm like, yeah, he was the toughest of the gang members. All the teachers to this point, he would sit there like this, like, you try to move me. And here he is crying like a little boy. Is that not awesome? And, and everyone in that room knew he was the toughest guy out of them all, right? And then father wound the next day, I'm praying and all of a sudden I hear, <laughs> I'm like, all right. We're going after it again. <laughs> so it's universal. It's universal. Brokenness is universal. I, I, I had a, a Buddhist monk one tell, once tell me, oh, all of Asia has a father wound. So, I mean, he even recognized it, right? So it, it's, it's everywhere. It's common. And people will, will get healing through your hands and your, your words, okay? So let's do it. All right, so the last lesson is called the true self. And the scripture that we use for this, the, the um, beatitude, is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this is where we get pure heart, the name, right? Um, and I rem- the first time I heard this, the first scripture I really heard, and I was about four years old. And we are watching at Christmas time The Little Drummer Boy, one of those claymation. Anybody ever see The Little Drummer Boy? Raise your hand if you saw it. I love that one. Uh, And uh, I'm going to ruin it. Spoiler alert. If you have not seen it, I'm sorry at the front. Uh, But The Little Drummer Boy in the story, his family gets killed by by thieves. And uh, they kill his whole family, and he escapes and all he has are these animals as his friends, right? And he now hates people because people killed his family. And so he just has these animals. And he's kind of bitter. Not kind of. He's really bitter. And uh, so he hates people. And he'll play drums and the sheep will dance. And then people give money to him, right? Well, these thieves, these terrible people, say, oh, we can make money off this kid. And they kidnap him and his animals. And they make them come with them on these caravans. Well, they come across three wise men looking for the star and looking for a king. So they decide, hey, we're gonna we're gonna connect ourselves with them so we can maybe make some money. Go to go to uh, Israel with these people and make some bucks. So they go there. Well, they get to Bethlehem, and the little lamb, his best friend, gets run over by a Roman chariot and killed. So sad, so sad. And he's sad, and the one of the wise men said, "Well, maybe if you could talk to the newborn king, maybe the newborn king could do something." And he said, "But I have no gift to bring." pa pum, pum, right? <laughs> so everyone's bringing these great gifts. He doesn't have anything, but he does play drums. So he plays drums for baby Jesus, and apparently, baby Jesus liked it. Because all of a sudden, the little lamb comes to life. And they're hugging, and he's happy, and he's forgiven humanity. And it, it's oh so beautiful. And it so the, the camera, like, goes up to the star of Bethlehem. And the narrator says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I was a four-year-old kid, first scripture I ever heard. And I went, I want to be pure in heart. I want to see God. But then I thought, no, because I'd already been molested, I'm not pure, I'm dirty, so I can't see God. And I was so sad. But that's not what pure means, right? Remember, I'm a geek about language and words, and so I I studied this scripture, and I ripped it apart and looked at the original language, and the word for pure doesn't mean without sin. What the word pure is, it's a a term used in uh, a process for blacksmiths, or not black, uh, silversmiths and goldsmiths. And what it means is to remove everything that is false, everything that doesn't belong, until all that's left is that which is real and true. So they would take the gold ore and the, or the silver ore, and they would put it in these big cauldrons and heat it up super high temperatures. And because the metal's heavier than the garbage, it, the dross, the dross would rise to the top. And the goldsmith, would, he would scrape it off. He would take off all the dross and then keep doing that, then heat it up again, make it even hotter, more dross come to the surface. And he would keep doing that process until it was done and pure. And the way he knew it was pure was when he looked into it and he saw his image without any mar. Isn't that awesome? That's what God's doing with us. He's removing everything that's false. He's revealing all that was true, all that was in there already, right? So, so what does that mean for us, right? Well, who, what is the true us? Who is the true me, right? And, and I mean, I think this is, this is the heart cry of every generation. Who am I? Like, what am I for? Why am I here, right? Everybody wonders that. It's the existential question of every generation, right? And I believe that God creates us each unique And like no one else, every one of you, like we are not, none of us are the same. I mean, I'm an ENFP, but who else is an ENFP in the room? Oh, God bless you all. Isn't life fun? Um, We have so much fun. Uh, We don't get a lot done sometimes when we're having fun, but that's all right. But anyways, so Sam is an ENFP, I'm an ENFP, but we're not the same person. We're different, we're each unique in how we express our ENFP-ness, oh. oh. <laughs> that has never happened before, forgive me for that. <laughs> what the heck, Tom? Please delete that from the recording. I did not do that on purpose. That has never happened. Jesus, man. Okay, so, (laughs) oh, Jesus, help us. bless him. All right, so back to the subject at hand. Uh, so he made each of us unique. None of us is the same. And I believe we each reflect his glory in a way nobody else can. Like God is so crazy big and vast and beautiful and, and complex. And so he places in, him, in each one of us some of his glory, who he is, and his nature and his character. And, and we show forth that glory in life, right? But see, what happens is life is is rough and there's fallenness in the world and and people come and say who you are is not acceptable. We we get people hurt us, they abuse us, they sin against us, and the image of God gets more and more the who we are gets more and more darkened and, and twisted and hidden, right? And then in response to being sinned against, we sin. And that sin hardens us and transforms us and makes us bitter and changes who, who we are, right? And, and in wanting to be acceptable, we'll, we'll actually change who we are. We'll, we'll try to make ourselves in the image of another. Or someone will try to make us in their image, right? Teachers, parents, whatever. Try to make us be someone else that we're really not, Right? And so we lose ourselves in that. And people give us labels and names. You know, I got lots of labels growing up. Sissy, fag, queer, you know, badges. I was wearing those badges. Didn't even know what they meant, but I heard it so often that I believed it, right? So people have placed labels on us. We wore masks in order to be acceptable and loved. Like, I'm a geek. I told you that. I'm, I'm just a geek. I've now wonderfully accepted my geekness, and I think it's amazing, right? I like being a geek. I really do. And I don't apologize for being a geek at all. And if you don't like me, so what? You lose out, in my opinion. But no, I was not like that before, right? I I did anything to get acceptance from people. And and but I'm not like that anymore. Because I know who I am, I know who he made me to be, and I like it. Like I really like it. And God really wants us. Like we let's look at Luke 1027, it says Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. So you look at that scripture, you'll go, okay, love God, makes sense, yep. Love your neighbor, a little more challenging depending on the neighbor, like you love yourself. Like, what the heck does that mean? How do I love myself? Does that mean you wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, hey, good looking, I love you, Right? That'd be a little weird. Although some of you are so seeped in self-hatred and condemnation, it might be a good idea for you to do that. But vast majority of us, that's a little weird. And I don't think it's self-love in that way. I don't believe that. I believe God gave me a key because I was really wrestling with this because I, I didn't like myself. And he's saying I have to love my neighbor as myself. What does it mean to love myself? And I believe he showed me to love yourself is to love others is to accept them for who God created them to be. And you can't do that unless you accept yourself for who God made you to be. I'm like, oh, right? So, okay, God, who did you make me to be? How do I find out who I am? Because I got lost in the shuffle, right? In trying to be accepted by other people. I, I remember and you know, I, I, I really was a geek. I would just read even on the way to school. You know, I learned how to walk and read at the same time. It was pretty awesome. And, uh, and, and I loved learning and all of that stuff and got teased for that. Um, I was not a fashionable gay man, so um, I needed queer eye for the queer guy because I, I just didn't have fashion sense. I just didn't. All my gay friends are like, Tom, you are not going out in that outfit. And I'm like, why? What's, what's wrong with it, right? I, I thought, what the heck? I, I'm all about comfort. Like, I love comfort. Love comfort. And so in in high school, I dressed the same every day. I had uh, bib overalls, three sizes too big, because they were so comfortable that way. And I wore flannel shirts, real soft ones, uh, in the summer and winter. So in the summer, I just rolled the sleeves up. Actually, just pushed them up, didn't roll them up. That's kind of sloppy. Had long hair, didn't do anything with it. Um, And I had red high-top Converse All-Stars. And I wore it every day. Like, I had more than one set, right? I didn't wear the same pants every day. But, um, and I was happy. Like, I was satisfied. But what I learned was that's not cool. And so people started teasing me about it, started mocking me about my outfits, talking about how, what a horrible dresser I was. And I wanted to be loved so badly. So, so I, I decided to change my image. I'm like, this is unacceptable, so uh, um, what do I do? I'll change it. And I I don't do anything halfway, okay? So I went from just this geeky kind of sloppy guy to like punk, you know, wearing all black. And I had spiked hair and dyed blonde, white in the front, mascara. And I would walk around going, ah, You know, punk rockers, we always looked mean and angry. But I'm not a mean and angry person, so I was not very good at it. But, you know, I'd go to the punk clubs and be slam dancing. And I'd see my friends. Hey! I'm like, oh, wait, no. <laughs> um, but it got me a lot of attention. It really did. And I'm like, cool. Wow, all I had to do was change my outfit. Now I, people like me, right? And then, um, and that worked for a while. But I'm like, I think I could do better than that. And I went full on prep. I was preppy to the max. Yeah. <laughs> So I had the, the penny loafers with no socks. I had the khaki slacks. I had the pastel button-down Oxfords, highly, highly starched. And yes, I even had the sweater tied around my neck. OK? <laughs> yep. Well, let me tell you, that is not comfortable. Like, penny loafers without socks is not comfortable. Starch shirts are definitely not comfortable but I got so much attention, and so that's who I was. And then I became a Christian. And I became the conservative Christian male. I had the helmet hair, I had the blue suit with the white shirt and the red tie with my little son in matching blue suit, red red tie and white shirt, right? I, I was a dork. I mean, I, and, my, and Donna had like this Anna Green Gables type dress and her hair was in this big bun. And uh, we have a picture, a family picture with my son in the matching blue, blue suit. And I'm like, we can never get rid of this. Like we can never. This, it's hilarious. But see, and that was really acceptable. And I got lots of attention as the conservative Christian male. But guess what? That's not me. I hate suits. I hate ties. And because I've been in youth movements, people are asking me to do their weddings. The first question I ask every time I'm invited, do I have to wear a tie? Sometimes they say yes, which bums me out, but I'll do it because I love them. But I just I I like I still love comfort. I love comfort. So if it can look good and be comfortable, awesome. But I'll go with comfortable over looking good, right? But do you see how I, I began to twist my who I really was to please other people to be acceptable because I didn't accept who I was. And that's so sad. And I lost myself. And many of you have lost yourselves. And you've, you've tried to twist and warp your image to be acceptable to other people. And he wants us to learn to love who he made us to be. So how do we find that out? Well, the first step is to sit quietly before the Lord. To listen to him, I, he's, like, he's, he's the manufacturer. So he has the, the manual and the directions on how he made us, like what you are, right? So uh, I got a, a really cool gas grill for Father's Day one year and uh, took everything out of the box. And I'm like, I can do this. I don't need directions. So I put that, I put that grill together, and I got all done, and it didn't work. And I had about 10 parts on the floor I'm like oh maybe it's because one of these things isn't in there I don't know dang it so guess what I had to do I had to tear it all down and start over and I had to read the directions right I had to read the manual and uh I got it done there were no parts left over and it worked right yeah I got another girl a couple years later only took me an hour to put it together because I read the directions we will find out who we are by talking to God who made us. He's got the directions, right? Men, do you guys do that too? Any of you men try to build things without reading the directions? It's just in us, man. I got that. Yeah, sure you do. Um, so we have to be quiet and listen to him. But we live in a very hurried, rushing society and culture. Like everything's now. Everything's immediate. We, we're, we're always rushing to the next thing. We're always going, going, going. We've always got stimulation. We've got the phone. We've got the television. we got the, uh, you know, everything. Everything's just bombarding us nonstop. And, and I believe God is asking us, you've got to slow down if you want to talk to me. And again, he wants to talk to us more than we probably want to hear him. He loves talking to us. We are, you know, think about prayer most of the time. Lord, we just need this. God, will you just move? Will you, you know, oh, we're contending for this. Oh God, we're going after this. Oh God, and I'm not against contending. Don't get me wrong, right? But God, we need you. We need more. God, and we're always asking and asking and asking. And I think sometimes God is saying, would you just shut up for one minute and let me talk? Relationship, right? He wants relationship with us. Not just us always petitioning him. He wants to have relationship. He wants to talk. It's like a dialogue, not just a petitioning all the time, right? So he really wants to speak to us. So we have to position our hearts in order to hear him. And, and so we have to find out, how do I do that? What do I need to stop doing and, and so I can get quiet? Well, you live in an amazing place right now you would live in an amazing place. You can just find little places of nature that are just so beautiful and you can just sit in quiet and just say, God, will you just show me who I am? Will you show me how you made me? Will you show me what got lost in the shuffle? And he will. He will do it every time. But we have to position ourselves to do that. Um, I, I remember I went to a conference. It was the first IHOP conference I ever went to. I think it was before it was IHOP. Um, But it was on evangelism, end times, and contemplative prayer. And I'm like, what? Like, that is a strange combo. And I told Don, I'm like, we gotta go to that. (laughs) That just sounds crazy. So we did, and they had this book table on contemplative prayer, mostly Catholic resources and Authors I'd never heard of, like it's kind of outside my realm of evangelicalism, but I started becoming fascinated, and I started reading all these books on contemplative prayer, and contemplative prayer is based on sitting quietly and listening, and positioning our hearts to listen to God, um, to, to focus on something about the nature or character of God, and just ruminating, just thinking on it, meditating on it, and because uh, I did eastern meditation i did and that was emptying yourself right emptying your mind coming to a place of emptiness um which is not good trust me because if you're empty someone will fill it right i found that out one time so i when i was my little new age self uh i was doing transcendental meditation and all of a sudden i left my body i did uh what do you call that um Yeah, for projection. I didn't even mean to do it. It just happened. And I'm above my body, and I'm looking down at my body. And I'm like, whoa. And I thought, this is cool. And all of a sudden, I'm Buddhist now, so I don't believe in good and evil. All of a sudden, this gray two-dimensional person walked into the room. And all I knew was, that thing is absolute evil. I felt it. And it was coming around the bed, and I knew it was going into me while I was out of me. And I willed myself back into my body, like, (gasps) and I'm like, I'll never do that again. (laughs) You're empty, something's going to fill it, right? So he doesn't want us emptying ourselves. That is not Christian meditation. meditation. Christian meditation comes from the observations of David. The word really comes from David. Who was poor guy had to be his best friends were sheep. That's all he was around. He was a shepherd. They'd be out for months at a time, uh, in, especially in the summer, just you and the sheep. And so he saw sheep all day long. He watched them. He observed them. He saw them. And 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 they're ruminants. They have they have multiple stomachs. Right. So a sheep eats the grass, swallows it, digests it a bit pukes it back up, chews on it some more, chew in the cud, swallows it, digests it a little more, puke up again, chew on it some more. It's called ruminating, right? That's what David was talking about. That's what he was watching in talking about meditating on God. We we think on God and the, the character of God, just pick and choose one of them. Chew on it, swallow it, digest it, Bring it back up, chew on it some more. Aren't you so glad we're single stomach animals? Seriously, it would be so distracting teaching you and all of a sudden you go, oh, Terrible. <clears throat> so I really got fascinated on this whole contemplative prayer thing, but I don't like sitting still. And, uh, and I would try to do it, and I just could never do it. And i so easily distracted. And we were, we were leading a school in Europe, and uh, we had some time before we had to be to the next place. And so I'm like, honey, let's, let's tour Europe. Let's, let's get on trains. It's cheap. And we'll go, go see Europe. So we did. We, we went to Paris. And then we were in London, then Paris, then Switzerland. Then we went to Rome. And from there, we could do two different things. that so We could go to Chiquitira, which I always wanted to do. Or we could go to Assisi, Italy for a contemplative prayer retreat offered by an organization in YWAM. And so I gave her the choice and I knew she'd pick the Contemplative Prayer Retreat. And I kind of wanted to, I was curious, so we went. And so Assisi is in the Tuscan Valley. It's a a city on a hill, it's actually a walled city, one of the last walled cities in Italy. And it's beautiful, I mean, gorgeous. Um, And it's where St. Francis of Assisi was from. Anybody know anything about St. Francis? see very few of you it's so sad like there was only one church at the time right there were no evangelical church we sh- we would learn so much by studying the saints of old so saint francis he was a very wealthy merchant son very spoiled rotten very worldly and he drank and slept around with women and he just lived the normal rich kid life and then he went to war and got captured by the enemy for a year they kept him in prison and finally his father was able to pay a a ransom they released him but he had like PTSD from that situation he was really broken and so he was in bed he couldn't even move and he encountered Jesus like Jesus met him and he got radically saved and in that salvation he just threw off everything he's like I don't need riches I don't need your money dad I don't need any of this. I just need Jesus. And uh, he became a beggar for Jesus. And so he just, and everyone thought, he's nuts. He's really lost his mind. Um, And he would sing. They called him the wandering minstrel. And he would sing and preach the gospel everywhere he went. And so one day he was uh, in this broken down church building that was there. And uh, he was just, there was a cross up there uh, with Jesus. It was actually, it's actually this this cross right here. So this was looking at, he's looking at it, meditating on Jesus and the cross. And all of a sudden, the face of Jesus turns and looks at him and speaks. And said, Francis, my church is in ruins. Rebuild the church. So he looks around, and he goes, yeah, the walls are falling down. Okay, I'm going to rebuild it. He didn't realize, he's, he's talking about the church of Christ is broken down. Rebuild it, but he thought, "Well, okay, I'll rebuild the church." So he starts, starts building it and starts begging for rocks so he can rebuild it. And all his buddies, all his rich friends, they're all like, "What is going on with Francis?" So they started going down, like, "What are you doing? I'm rebuilding the church," and they're like, "Have you lost your mind?" And he starts sharing the gospel with them, how he's free for the first time in his life, really, truly free. And uh, slowly but surely, they all get saved and they all join him. So this movement happens. Um, one thing I learned, because there's a famous saying that's credited to him, and it says, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Have you heard that? Okay. It's, so it's, very, it's attributed to him. People say it all the time. Well, the, one, of the, one of the friars, the monks, we, he met with us and was telling us about his life, and uh, he said, you may have heard this. He goes, he never said that. Never said that. He said, he made people preach the gospel all the time. He would send new friars. If they joined the order, he said, okay, one of the primary things we do is we preach the gospel everywhere we go. So you are going to go into the mass, into the cathedral, and as soon as the priest stops talking, you're going to stand up on the a, on a pew, and you're going to preach the gospel. And they would be terrified, like sweating and everything. So that is not attributed to him. It's not even true. They preached the gospel. They did Good works all the time, but they preach the gospel everywhere. So we did this retreat in his hometown, in this area. And they said, okay, we're going to, they taught us on contemplative prayer, and they said, we're going to go into the church. It's still standing, the church he rebuilt, and that cross is still there. They've had to restore it a few times. So we're going to meditate on the cross. So you're going to sit in the church for 90 minutes and look at the cross. I thought you are kidding me like 90 minutes this is gonna be horrible so we go to the church we sit down and you know they did tell us about his life so I'm thinking on those things I'm looking at the cross and it seemed like 10 minutes went by and uh and I I I wasn't looking at my phone making sure I'm not doing that but I was kind of curious like how much more time do we have to sit here I'm just being honest. And uh, so I looked at my watch, and 90 minutes had gone by. I'm like, what? That's crazy. Like, it just seemed like 10 minutes. I'm like, Donna, our time's up. Like, we have to go back. She's like, what? It was so crazy. It was just like in that moment, time stopped or something. I don't know. It was so crazy. I'm like, oh, maybe this contemplative prayer thing is pretty cool. So then we graduation day, last day. They said, okay, now we're going to go up to the mountain where where Francis always would go and do contemplative prayer, and we're going to spend three hours in contemplative prayer. Oh, my gosh. Three hours sitting still. And uh, so they told us, find a spot, and I, I found this idyllic area. It was, like, down the hill. It was, a, like, this big stone that made, like, a chair. I'm like, oh, this is a chair. This is cool. And there was, like, a winding river down below me, and the the wind was blowing, the trees were just making that beautiful sound, trees make in the wind. And, uh, and I thought, oh, cool. And so they gave us some things we could focus on. So I just chose one of those things and I started, you know, meditating on it. And then all of a sudden, I th- uh, this thought goes through my mind. Wow, this is so cool. Like we could do a whole week on contemplative prayer in the DTS. And I'm like, oh, Tom, stop it. Stop. No, no, focus, focus focus. And then this other thought goes through my mind. Wow, we could actually do a contemplative prayer DTS. The whole thing would have a focus on contemplative prayer. Wouldn't have, no, Tom, Tom, stop. Focus, focus, focus. And right about that time, this giant horsefly starts buzzing around my face. I, you know, they sound like helicopters. They're so big. And they're, finally, I just yell at the top of my lungs, God, this fly is driving me nuts! Because I feel like I'm just abject failure at this meditation thing. My brain keeps thinking about all these things. This fly is driving me nuts. God, this fly is driving me nuts. And right then he said, kind of like those thoughts, Huh? And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, kind of. And he said, Tom, quit trying to swat them away. I made you to be a dreamer. I made you to be a builder. You can't help but think of those things. You can't help but to go in those places. That's how I made you. So let those thoughts go on up here. Quit trying to swat them away. And just meet me here. And I'm like, I can't describe how I got it, but I got it. Like, I really got it. And those thoughts would still go on, and I would just meet him here. And the fly stopped flying around my face at the same time. He sent that fly. I know he did. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. And in that place, I, I, we got back here, and we were uh, leading schools. And, uh, and I remember, I would be walking down the hill, coming down to the tent, and, uh, and I would stop. I would just stop on the sidewalk, close my eyes. Thoughts are going on here, and I would just meet him. Oh, it's amazing. And in that place, he speaks to us so clearly. So we, he, we, we need the still, small voice of God telling us who we are. We also learn who we are through the word of God. I mean, it really is. The word speaks to us. And it's not like a user manual for dummies for holiness, right? We kind of look at it like an instruction manual, but that's a wrong view of the word of God. We need to view it as a love letter from God from Genesis to Revelation, an expression of his love towards humanity and for you individually. And when we read the word of God like that, oh, my goodness, he shows us things. We learn about who we are in Christ, who we are to one another. We, he'll speak to us through the word of God. And when I first got saved, um, Rosie gave me a King James Bible. It was a nice one, leather cover, everything. Um, and, and I would just read it voraciously. I couldn't get enough of it. And I just, I, I loved him and I loved the word and I would just read it and read it and read it. Couldn't get enough of it. Um, I remember studying to read Paul, this, the, the journeys of Paul in the book of Acts and then reading the letters of Paul and I got to 2 Timothy and I realized he was saying goodbye to Timothy because he was going to die. And I started crying. And I'm like, my friend is going to die. Like he had become My friend. And, and so the word was so alive. And before I got saved, I always read books. Donna told you I love books. I love reading. And uh, I, I, before I got saved, I, I, before I went out to the club, I had my ritual. I had my book. I had my whiskey. I had my ashtray and my cigarettes. And I would read and smoke and drink and read and smoke and drink. And life was good. Well, it really wasn't. But that was my routine, right? So then I got saved and everything changed because now I had my Bible I had my beer, because Christians don't drink whiskey. And I had my ashtray and my cigarettes. And I would read and smoke and drink and read. And I was a chain smoker, three packs a day, man. I would just smoke and smoke and read and read and read and smoke and drink, right? Well, I still have that Bible. It still smells like an ashtray, right? Because I smoked I, three three packs a day. It smelled, right? So one day I'm in a church. And uh the pastor said, so open your Bible to 1 Timothy 3.16. And I open my Bible, and it's like, You know, this cloud kind of comes out of it. And this guy sitting next to me, he's like, wait a second, you smoke? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you smoke and read the Bible? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you can't smoke and read the Bible. And I said, I can't? He's like, no. And I thought, oh, no. No, I'll never read the Bible. Like, I couldn't imagine giving up cigarettes, right? Right. I I was so sad. I went home. I went into my prayer closet, my little room. I went into it, and I'm like, God, I'm so sad. Danny said I can't smoke and read the Bible. I'm like, come on. I'm I'm not sleeping with men. I'm not doing massive amounts of drugs. I'm not getting blind drunk anymore. But this, and God just spoke to me so clearly. He's like, Tom, you can smoke and read the Bible. There are so many things I'm working on in your heart right now. That is the least of my concerns. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. (laughs) And I was the dude at the entrance to the church. Like some of my friends were smokers, but they were closet, you know, and they'd be flicking the cigarette out right before the church parking lot. Not me. I I, I was right at the door getting that last smoke in before I went in for service. So I just smelled every time. Um, and then one day, I just went, I'm sick of this. I don't want to do this anymore. Wow. It's expensive. I've got a hack, you know, coughing hack. And, and I smell. So I'm like, okay. So I call Rosie. I'm like, hey, Rosie, would you and Ron pray for me? Uh, I want to be delivered from cigarettes. And she was like, uh, oh, okay, come on over. And she said, I had no faith. I have never seen anyone get delivered from that. I would have no idea how we're going to pray for this. And she like had zero faith that there's going to be success. And she knew what a chain smoker I was. And uh, so I went over her house. They prayed over me. Bam, deliverance, wow. like deliverance. It was gone. I had absolutely no desire. It was like crazy. And I had no like bad uh, after effects. Like it didn't affect me at all. I didn't, it was crazy, right? God is so good. He's so, so good. And he knew where I was, Right. But that, that word became life. But then the teaching at the church became super, it, it was, I just didn't realize it, it was hard. Like God was always mad and always sad. Like he was always done with us. And, and we were such filthy, horrible sinners. And, uh, and we, you probably sinned during the week and you probably lost your salvation. So you need to get saved again. So every Sunday. I was up at the altar getting saved again, because I invariably somehow sinned with my mind, with my mouth, somehow. So I I always felt like a failure. And I I would be up there getting saved. And it was so funny, because Donna was always getting saved too, and my friend Christine. They'd be like, Donna, Christine, we're here again, getting saved. And it was Pentecostal church, and so they had prophecy, and they had like sometimes tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so the music would build up to this huge crescendo, right? And then all of a sudden, someone would prophesy. And it always started the same way. Thus saith the Lord. Because God always speaks in King James English for some reason. And uh, and they were always bad. Like, God was always mad and always sad. It was always, oh, grip yourself, Tom. Someone just said, thus saith the Lord, it's going to be bad. But this one lady in particular. She was a redhead, no offense to redheads. It's just the reason I say that is I would be able to kind of get up on my tippy toes, like before worship, and see, is she here? And then I would see the red hair. I'm like, oh, she's here. Because hers were the worst. She was the fiery prophet, man. They were bad. So one this day, she's there. Build up, build up, build up, it gets quiet, and I hear her. Thus saith the Lord! you make me sick. I'm like, okay, that's it. That's it, God. I am done with you and these people of yours. I am done. And I walked out of that church and I just walked away. I, I just, I'm like, I can't do this. I'm done. I can never please you. I make you sick. I'm done. And, uh, the interesting thing is, it's very hard to turn your back on someone who's everywhere. Right? <laughs> turn my back on you. <laughs> Wait, turn my back on you. you know, it, and they, said, they call him the hound of heaven. Like, he just pursues you. He never gives up on you. And, and another, another thing is, if you're in darkness, in the darkness and you come into the light, when you go back into the darkness, it's so dark. It's so dark. And I was miserable. I mean, I, have, I was so miserable. I didn't go back to the gay life because I knew deep down inside, I'm like, that will never satisfy. But I went back to drugs and alcohol like never before. I mean, I just, I just went crazy. And uh, this one night, I was at the club, and I'm in the bathroom doing all these drugs. And I come out of the bathroom, and I'm walking down the center aisle of the club. And the, the lights are going, and music's blaring, and all of a sudden God spoke and I'm serious. This is the time I think it was the audible voice of God but I think I was the only one who could hear it. He said it so loud. Literally, I stopped in my tracks and this is what he said, I love you. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? No, you don't. You, I make you sick, go away, go away, leave me alone. And uh, he didn't, he didn't go away um, and he would pursue me. And uh, I, I remember one night I went out drinking the night before, definitely alcohol poisoning, like drank more than humans should drink. I'm sitting in this rocking chair, trying not to move. My hair hurt, it was like bad. And, and, and I'm sitting there just ugh, miserable. And he spoke to me again. And he said, I've called you to be a teacher. I'm like, what? What do you t- Look at me. Go away. And if God is the hound of heaven, Donna Cole is the hound of earth. Okay? Because we were buddies, and I had walked away, and she was smarter than me. She, I Honestly, I thought all, all churches taught the same thing. I really did. I didn't know any different. But she left that church, too, at the same time, and she started going to this other church. So she starts calling me, and I would avoid her calls, and... I was so mean to her. I I rejected her so much. Um, But she just kept at me, kept at me, kept at me. She said, Tom, you wouldn't believe. This guy's teaching things I've never heard about the grace of God. This grace is real, Tom. It's so amazing. He loves. God is so, he is loving. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she she would talk and I could hear. And I'd wait till she stopped talking. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just terrible. She would come to my house, and I'd I, I look out the window and see it's Donna. And uh, she'd be knocking at the door, and I'd pretend I wasn't home. And it's uh, so, so wrong. And then she'd be knocking. I know you're in there. I know you're here. God told me. And I'm like, oh, go away. Go away. Um, just so terrible to her. And so she, but she kept going, kept going, kept going. And then... Um, one time she, she just said, hey, why don't you just come to that church with me? Just come with me. And she'd ask me over and over again. I always told her no. Finally, I just thought, okay, I'll go. Just shut her up. I'll go. And I, and I went. Really, such a wrong heart. And I went to the church. And they had a, they had a book table uh, in the lobby. And so I love books. So I'm checking out the books. And there was this one book. Uh, it was called A Man After God's Own Heart. It was The Life of David. And I picked it up. And I didn't even realize I said it out loud, but I thought it and said it at the same time. And I said, I wanna be a man after God's own heart. And she looked at me and said, Tom, you are a man after God's own heart. So we also learn who we are through the affirming words of other people. But see, when we don't believe in ourselves, when we hate ourselves or despise who we are, it's hard for us to receive from other people. But God says, encourage one another, especially as you see the day approaching. He's calling us to encourage each other. It's so good. Like we, we can think, oh, I don't want him to get puffed up or whatever. No, he's saying do it, especially as you see the day approaching. We're, we're a couple thousand years into this, so it's coming closer every day. So even more so, we should be increasing that, encouraging each other. And she would speak life into me and speak who I really was that I couldn't see, and eventually I began to believe it, right? So we learn from the still small voice of God, we learn from the Word of God, and we learn from the life giving words of others, right? One thing that'll really trip up the whole process, though, is religion, right? And I'm not talking about healthy spirituality, healthy Christianity, healthy relationships with Jesus, I'm talking religion. Again, I said before, the religion works from the, outside, or from the outside in. Change what you look like, what you do, what you, where people see, and, and work towards the heart. No, Jesus works from the heart. He works from the inside out. He transforms us inside, and the outside will naturally change. Naturally. Um, and one day, God just dropped this phrase into my head, and again, it was so profound, I knew it was not coming from Tom. And he said, religion steals from us what is already ours, I'm like, "Whoa. Heavy heavy, God. Amazing. Think about that. Religion steals from us what is already ours. Like we are pursuing God, I need more of you. I've given you everything uh, that you need according to life and godliness. God, God, I need power. Send your power, God. Tom, I've given you the power that raised Christ from the dead. How much more power do you need? Right? I mean, think about it so profound. God, God, I need you more. I need you more, Tama. I live inside of you. How much more do you need? And not that we don't ask, we can ask for more. That's not wrong, but we are if we don't have in our mind the reality of what we really have, then we're chasing after it like a carrot that we can't find. You know, it's like those poor racehorses going after that rabbit They're never going to, I don't know if you've ever seen horse races, but they have this mechanical rabbit that the horses will never be able to catch. That's religion. We're running after something we'll never catch. And we actually already have the rabbit, right? I said in the book, this guy wrote this really profound statement, the kingdom of God is like a man at home asleep in his bed who is dreaming he is far from home and wishes he were at home asleep in his bed. I'll say that again. The kingdom of God is like a man at home asleep in his bed who is dreaming he is far from home and wishes he were at home asleep in his bed. We already have everything we need. He's given us everything that we could possibly need or want. And we just have to believe it. That's it. All we have to do is believe it. We don't have to work ourselves up into a frenzy to get it. And again, I'm I'm all about the prayer room. I'm all about contending and praying and asking God to come in and break in in places and things and people's lives. I am all for that. But sometimes I think we get into this mind mindset that I have to work it up to a certain point before God'll hear me, right? So <clears throat> um uh, my friend Forrest, do you guys know Forrest him, any of you? Okay, yeah. He's a wild man. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. I just love him. He was in the first school of the circuit Riders. He was wild, like just a wild man. And uh, <clears throat> so then he ended up going to do his DTS after the school of the circuit Riders. And uh, I mean, this guy pursued God with all his heart, right? Well, one day he's in the prayer room. They had a prayer set. <clears throat> and he's just, he has his Bible and he's just sitting there quietly with his Bible. And uh, the leader of the DTS he, he told me the story, so he's okay if I share it. And he's like, you know, going around to people, come on, man, come on, let's contend. Come on, man, come on. And he saw Forrest just sitting there very quietly with his Bible. He's like, come on, man, come on, let's contend. And Forrest just quietly opened his eyes. He said, do you want me to cut myself like the prophets of Baal? I'm like, oh, my God. Jeremy's like, uh, he's like, I've never been rebuked like that in my life. And that was, he said, I just walked away going, what do I do with that? <laughs> and again, right, I believe in contending. I believe in asking. I believe in seeking. But religion gets us into a mode where we have to work ourselves up in order for God to hear us. And he, he loves to speak to us. Colossians 2, 20 through 23 says, you have died with Christ And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. I'm like, wow. Kind of goes against religion there. Really, we overcome through him. He is our strength. He is the one that helps us overcome, and he will do it, right? So uh, when I was early, under really bad teaching, uh, I remember I read Galatians 2:20. It says, "I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me." And, uh, and I believe I got just amazing revelation on it. I still have that journal. Uh, I've read it recently. It's hilarious. Um, And I would believe that, oh, this is a revelation from God. But we can get revelation from Satan if we're not really understanding the word of God. That's why it's really important for us to study his word and to know his word. Because the enemy even uses the word against us, right? He did it with Jesus. He used the word against Jesus. Doesn't the scripture say that he will not let you dash your foot against a rock? Throw yourself off. He'll take care of you. And Jesus is like, ah, does not the word say, you know, do not test the Lord. Right? It's like so crazy. The enemy uses the word. So he used the word in this instance with me, and I thought I got this heavy revelation. I'm like, oh, okay. God wants to annihilate Tom. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. God wants to annihilate me until and, and through my hard work and strong devotion and all that, i am pushed more and more. Tom will die, die, die until no Tom is left. And then Jesus will rise up in Tom's body walking around doing marvelous things. Speaking, speaking in a British accent, usually. Um, I always thought, why does he have a British accent? He's Israeli. Kind of strange. But so I really thought that was the truth. And then... When I began to learn more about who he was, I'm like, "Ah, I really got that off. That was wrong God what do you will you show me what this means? What does it mean to be crucified with Christ?" And I believe he gave me the answer. He knows I love story, so he speaks to me through story and uh and he said, he challenged me I, I was reading it, meditating on that scripture, and he said, "Tom, this is a story. it's a very short story and uh so." And I'm like, oh, okay, good, I love story. And so he said, who are the characters in the story? And I thought, okay, let me think. There's I, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Oh, but Jesus Christ, Christ, so there's two characters, lives in me. Oh, there's a third character in the story. So who are these characters? Right off the bat, this is easy, Christ is Jesus, in case you didn't know. But who is the I in the story? And I believe what he showed me is it's the false self. It's the sins that were done against us, the sins that we did in response to being sinned against, the shame we've carried through life. It's the names and labels that people have placed upon us. It's the masks we've worn in order to be loved by other people. It's all the junk we've been dealing with this week, right? Right? So that's been crucified. That's why I keep emphasizing the cross, man. The cross is an amazing place of exchange, right? So I, the false self, am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I, the false self, no longer lives, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. Who is me? The true self, who God intended you to be before the foundations of the world. It says, I knew you before I formed the earth, right? If you get that, like we've kind of always existed in the heart of God. Like he couldn't wait for you to come. He thought about you that far along, that far away. And he delights in who you are and he made you unique and he made you special and he made you like nobody else. And he delights in who you are. He loves who you are. That is the true self. So we got rid of this false self. The false self is crucified with Christ. Therefore the false self no longer lives, but Jesus Christ now lives in me, the true self. So after doing this teaching, we would have all the all the staff come up, and we'd have them all prophesy. We'd, we'd pray that God would just show them amazing things to speak over people and call out in people how they would see it, ask for the spirit of prophecy to come. And it was amazing. But one time we were doing this in a frat house in Peoria, Illinois. Very strange place to do a Pure Heart weekend, but hey, You go where you're invited, right? So we went and we're in the upper room uh, of this frat house. And at first, in the meetings, there were, you know, there was a good amount of people, but, you know, it wasn't full. But they must have been texting friends and saying, hey, you got to come. You really need to come. So by the last lesson, literally the entire floor was covered. People were sitting on the floor. And like people are sitting around my feet. So I'm speaking like, There's no open space in the whole big room. And I thought, oh, shoot, this, yeah, we can never pull that off. Like, how are we going to do it? There's too many people. So I said, well, usually this is what we do, but that's not going to work. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to just get quiet, no music, and I'm going to ask Jesus to speak to you and to tell you who he says you are. And Donna's like, yeah, when, when he tells you, speak it out so that you hear it and other people hear it and they'll be encouraged. And really, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And that is the word of God. So when we speak it out, it gives power. It's, it, it just reinforces it so powerfully. And so it, we did that. And it was like popcorn. It's just popping, popping, popping. And, and, you know, sometimes he doesn't speak in real religious language either. Sometimes it's, it's really like pet names. He'll give you a pet. One time he, in my quiet time with him in, in one of these sessions, he, he said, you're my goofball. And I, oh my goodness, I'm just like, oh, I love that. Like, oh, I'm his goofball. Like that is, that is our pet name. I, I just I, I, That's still my favorite thing that he's called me is my little goofball. I'm like, I love that. Thank you, God. So it's not always religious. Sometimes it is spiritual sounding. Sometimes it's not. So just be open. Just open your heart and don't try to think. Let him speak. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. We've been doing it that way ever since. And I believe it's so much more powerful. It's great to get a prophetic word. It really is. But it's better to hear it from God yourself. Like, I believe prophetic words are really supposed to be confirmation of something that God's already told you. Right? Like, he really wants us to hear from him. He doesn't want us becoming dependent on prophetic people to hear from him. He wants a relationship with you, not the prophetic person. Does that make sense? So that prophetic person is really bringing truth to you that you already knew, and it's just emphasizing it, or you're not doing it. Or, you know, it's, telling, it's speaking to something that God's already speaking to you. So we're going to get quiet, and we're just going to sit quietly. And then when he says something, just speak it out, okay? Don't be afraid. Just do it. So everyone close your eyes so you're not focused on anyone else. And Jesus, will you just speak to each heart? Father, will you just show them how you see them? Holy Spirit, will you just come in power?